Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited. So you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you would like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash from us films, LLC, or just search from us F R U M E S S. And don't forget to like share and subscribe audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. All right. All right. All right. Welcome to another episode of pizza punk. My name is the hungry pizza end. And with me is my esteemed guest, Pete Damien Marshall. This guy, this guy's got some freaking resume. He has done it all. He has done it all. Um, Pete is, has played with some incredible bands. He is a, uh, musician uh, first and foremost um, he also knows his way around gear and cabinets and guitars and basses and I'm sure there's a laundry list of things that Pete would correct me on right now and tell me that he knows a lot more probably things that go over my non-musician head fixing um, the dryer yes <laughs> right um, some of the band's that uh, Pete has been involved with. He played, he started off with uh, Morning Noise and the Horror Lords, um, played uh, throughout the uh, uh, original stint of Sam Hain. Um, then from there, he's in a band that not many people are familiar with, but I love this band, love this band. Um, the Brain Eaters, Joe Truck's, um, uh, Joe Truck's band. Uh, he played guitar in the Brain Eaters. And then um, the next thing uh, probably like, just like blows my mind. Dude toured the world with Iggy Pop and was in, you were in the Trolls, right, Pete? I guess that's what they called us. Yeah, the Trolls. He wrote, he wrote with Iggy, Blood on Your Cool, amongst some other really cool songs. Um, he's also played in the B.B. Buell Band. He's played freaking with cheetah chrome i mean this dude has done it all uh and so don't for, welcome don't forget the ultra short stint with manitoba right wait what i didn't know that really yeah yeah when? when was that 2017 i think oh now wait this was called manitoba or this was dictators nyc or what what was what no iteration? it was it was called manitoba punk soul soul punk or something like that oh. it, his he was he was gonna have a, a solo album come out it may not have but uh but i was involved in that for a couple of shows wow yeah he felt he he fell off the face of the earth yeah HDM. and uh, gone gone yeah <laughs> but um i did not know that that is, uh, that's another feather in the cap of Pete, Damian Marshall. So welcome to the show, Pete. Let's, let's get this question out of the way because mm -hmm. I want to talk all about music with you, but 
the show is called Pizza Punk. And um, so let's talk about pizza real quick. My, my question, the thesis question that I ask on the show to every guest that I've had is, is pizza punk and why? And, you know, again, there's no right or wrong answer. I just want to hear what you've got to say. Yes, because it was readily available. Say you were, you were playing A7 and you got hungry, go over to Stromboli's, get a slice. Maybe Doug Holland would have you pick up a case of beer because they were running out at the bar. Wow. At A7. There you go. By the way, uh, Pete did get my email about wearing plaid because it's Sunday. We, uh, <laughs> we, um, you know, I'm in my t-shirt. I'm sorry. FMU t-shirt too. Yes. Yes. That was the other. I said, we have a dress code here and it's plaid. And mm -hmm. I think that, I think that's going to be, the that's the other part of my, of the on brand for pizza punk from now on is plaid. Yeah. So I was very I was very happy to see that Pete uh, was was wearing plaid. Um, so okay, that's great. That's great. I like that answer a lot. I agree, man. Readily available, just like in the way that you know you got three chords, a bass, drum, and a guitar, and those are readily available if you can get a get your hold get your hands on them and. You know, you, you make you make pizza with uh, with those instruments, and uh, <laughs> and you get some punk rock. So pizza is punk. Yeah. Um. All right, man. Let's talk. Let's talk about. So we first we did have a conversation once before. Mm -hmm. I came down to SIR. Yeah. With a six pack, and we 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 shot the the S H I T for about two hours. It's all on tape. Uh, it'll be it'll it'll come out someday with they came yeah. from Lodi. But you told me so much cool stuff, and you know I haven't watched those tapes since we we recorded them, so I'm very interested to dive back in. But it's been nine years since we did that, and so let's uh, let's just go back a ways, and we'll, we'll we'll go through the we'll go through the thing. You got start. You got your you, you first started playing. Well, I mean you, you you were playing guitar before, but. How did you get involved with Morning Noise, and how did you get involved with the Horlords? Um, the first thing I remember about the Horlords was um, my friend who I grew up with, Jim Wallerstein, who's married to B.B. Buell, had this book on New York punk. And now that I think about it, it it had the, the picture of uh, one of them was Howie Pyro and and John Xavier, uh, him, Howie burning his hair off in the entrance of the Palace Hotel next to Seabees. And there was also a, a picture of Bobby Snots that fascinated me for some reason, because they had a skull with, he had a tattoo of a skull with an army helmet on and it said Missy underneath. And then, um, you know, I've been hanging around the burgeoning hardcore scene and i was going to uh you know i was i was going to burden community college and uh lo and behold uh bobby snots is in my psychology class he had just gotten out of uh county jail again and uh was living with his mom in edgewater and uh and, you know, he's there in the uh, 
I was sitting in the cafeteria with somebody and he came in with a leather jacket and that said whore lords on it. And I was like, I know that guy. And I don't know what was wrong with me or what at that point I marched right up to him and said, Hey, you're Bobby Snots. I know you, you were in the whore lords. And he's like, yeah, we're playing soon. So uh, why don't you come? It's a uh, blue moon studios. And uh, was he, was he, um, was he kind of like, uh, was he impressed that you knew who he was or he was just like, yeah, you should know who I am. Yeah. It is kind of like Danzig light. <laughs> so, um, I went to that, that show and, um, he and the guitar player got into a fight on stage and, um, right there, he, he comes up to me after the show and said, you're the guitar player now. Never heard me play. Wow. And, um, yeah, uh, so we took it from there and it was, it was just as much of a train wreck as every earlier version was, except that I got the recording. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's supposed to, uh, Mark Yoshitomi from, uh, Generation Records is, uh, he, he had it mastered and they're, we're nice trying to put it together to get it out because that's one of those bands yeah lords are one of those bands that just much like similarly the 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 stimulators and a few others yeah the fiends i would think is another one um really the mad even though they have a couple of seven inches these bands just don't have they're they're kind of lost to time when it comes to like the the record the the fossil vinyl record at least and there's just nothing out you know? Yeah, well, especially the whore lords because it was always two junkies and two kids, right? So nobody, nobody had a, nobody had enough money to get the recording out of Hawk ever. Yeah, but uh, wow, amazing! You know that's why you never throw anything away. That's why you hold on to this sort of stuff because maybe it might take a couple decades, but someday someone's going to be interested in it and want to put it out, and it needs to be there for historical file keeping. You know. Yeah, now, but that back then it was like, who cared? Right, of course. Um, let me ask you this because you said I you, you started hanging out around like the the dawn of hardcore. Mm -hmm. What what in your from your point of view, in your opinion, um, as you saw it through your own eyes, what was the there was like it seemed like nineteen seventy nine to nineteen eighty there was this massive split that happened in the New York punk scene. And it sort of like diverged in a bunch of different ways, maybe even a little bit earlier than that. Maybe it started in 78 through 80 and you got, you wound up with like hardcore. There's like new wave. And then there's still kind of like punk rock or something. The, the rock and rolly band with the Johnny Thunders ass guitar player. Right. You, you'll never get rid of that in New York. There's always some guy with the newsboy hat and the, and the yeah. last ball junior. Yeah. Well, me. But <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, I would say it, it, it happened later on. Okay. I, I would say like 80, 81 when they're um, about when, you know, there was that whole new no wave scene. Um, of, uh, you know, like James Chance. James Chance. Yeah. yeah. The contortions. The contortions and Lydia Lunch. I did play with James Chance too. At uh, we do a um, 
since we all worked for Lou Reed at some point, we do some, we have something called the Lou crew and we do uh, every year on his birthday, we do a show. When did you work for Lou Reed? How could I not? He, he rehearsed it at SIR. Right, right. Wow. So what um, the hell is that like being in a room with Lou Reed? It's, it, it's, for some people, it's terrifying. For me, it was just annoying. Because, oh, yeah. Because he, he, he felt like he had to be a jerk constantly. Like to be on brand, on control, in control. And I remember one one rehearsal. Uh, one of the it turned out one of the tubes in his amp that he was using, his Soldano was going bad, and the girl rehearsal tech came in and she said, "I can't, I can't deal with this guy anymore. Can you come in and help me?" So I said, "All right, you know, I'm gonna go in." And he's on the phone with. Uh, the owner of Saldano amplifiers complaining about it. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll just take this. I'll, I'll take a look at it. You know, I'll be right back. And he, he's like, you break it. You bought it. I'm like way to go, dude. It's the, you know, I'm trying to help you out. So anyway, it was just a bad tube. I had two others that I, I put in the amp and rebiased it, brought it in. And he, you know, he's like, Oh, took you long enough. See, on what level, I mean, that is very dickish, but like on what level is he like, I have to do this on purpose so that people like remember that I'm Lou Reed or you I, think that's just really just a part of his demeanor? I don't think he, well, if he knew you and he got to know me later on, um, he he would let down his guard. Right. It's a guard. A nice guy. And, you know, and then he saw me playing with BB too. So that helped. That helped. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that was his usual shtick with it, with anybody that worked there. So to, to, to bring it back around to what we were talking about, yeah. so you're saying 80, 81 is when the heart, the hardcore thing is really starting up in 80 to 81. But what is that? What is hardcore in, in your opinion? What is, what is hardcore reaction to? within the punk scene or vibe or whatever that's going on at the time. I'm not sure. Um, because it was, you know, you'd see, I, I think it was just a younger crowd came in maybe. And I don't know. It, it just got, it got faster. It just evolved into something else. Whereas, I mean, but you'd still, a lot of times you'd still see the same people. And, you know, uh, you'd be at like a, a matinee and there's um, Ty Sticks who played with the, the Heartbreakers, like bum and change outside the Seabees. And, uh, you know, walking around with his uh, ghetto blaster with live max is playing so everybody knew who he was right of course i think i told you that too it's like i saw that i saw him on saint mark's place when i was in high school and uh doing the same thing and i i was i was like i don't ever want to be that guy yeah and that made a seared an impression on me at 16 or so 
but um it's i i i don't know when it uh i i would say when they started having matinees for four hardcore bands oh that was when it it got diversified otherwise it's like i remember going to see the stimulators on halloween and it was like you know just four other bands and them wow. and uh you know everybody still did two sets at cb's and um that was a, yeah that was a great show what was the two set thing about uh i think it was selling drinks i'm not i'm not sure but that had to be 82 and then slightly after that every show i remember going to there the tables were moved out and um and it was you know the floor was open but right. that was the last that was the last show i remember sitting at a table in cbs wow. wow um so when did you when did you get involved with morning noise once again, Burden Community College. Nice. Uh, I see Steve Steve Greco was going there too, and I I guess uh, they had a falling out with their uh, guitar player Tommy Kropowski. and Steve knew I played guitar in the Horror Lords, and at the, at that point, um, I guess it came up to the point we played a show. The Horror Lords played a show, and then out outside of cb's later on bobby snot says we're not the horror lords anymore we're called nazi youth ah uh, and all three of us were like i quit yeah and yeah. then he he did i've heard he did one more show like that and then eventually he got stabbed and was killed he, oh, he was, I thought he died of an overdose. He was killed. He was stabbed. I think he was killed outside of um, uh, Continental. Wow. I did not know that. that yeah. Bobby's nuts. Wow. Um, so then you played, I mean, your, 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 your stint with Morning Noise was short-lived. It was not very long, right? I guess not. I, yeah. It, it went from maybe late 82, early 83, up until... Uh, until you know i got sam hayne so you did did morning noise morning noise did shows with the original misfits right i don't think so did you um i we never you never yeah. played you never yeah. you never opened for the misfits or nothing no um rosemary's babies yes but right right um which was eerie's band yeah so interesting how steve Steve had his band. He was the drummer and also kind of like, you know, up front in the sense of like, you know, move, moving, moving and it forward. And, yeah. Right. And so was Yuri as the drummer yeah. and both, both doing their things and both probably in my, I mean, both probably would have been drummers for the misfits at one point or another, had they not been so serious about their own projects. Right. So kind of interesting. And, you know, it makes me wonder, either one of those guys would have been a very perhaps you don't get any Sam Hain or Sam Hain wouldn't come to later or whatever would come after the misfits wouldn't come to later if you have one of those guys in that band drumming because they might have stabilized the lineup meaning or who knows maybe that it would be eerie you know for a couple months and then Steve and you know when they getting one or the other whenever 
one or the other is available. And then all of a sudden there's this like stabilized and those guys could play the earth AD material easily. So yeah, oh, it's yeah. like stabilized band that's touring that, that earth AD comes out. They do the Germany tour with one of those guys. Maybe they keep going. Who knows in, in the alternate universe where we only got two Michael Myers movies instead of 11. <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced we're living in the alternate reality where they actually made nine or 10 Michael Myers movies. And it really, the, the, the normal, the normal Halloween was supposed to just have the first two. And then it was supposed to be an anthology with the third one on. And the reason why I bring that up is because in my opinion, and maybe you have some insight or, you know, this is just my personal opinion as someone who was not there. I think Glenn got the idea to call his band Sam Hain or started to get obsessed with Sam Hain because he saw Halloween too. And he saw Michael Myers write Sam Hain in blood and was like, that's really cool. And I think that's where, I think that's where he got the idea from. I have nothing to prove this. I just think maybe. Yeah. I maybe, but he, I him. mean, he did a lot of, uh, you know, reading about the occult and right. Uh, things like that and i know um blood feast was actually written not for the misfits but for right. what he was he was already prepping something else right but my wonder is i yes he was reading about the occult but my wonder is did he see the word sam hain and be like wow that's actually huh i gotta read more about that which is around 81, which is why this all yeah. makes sense to me in my mind. Cause I'm going, Oh, around 81. And that's also, he's doing archangel for Dave Vanian. Yeah. And uh, you know, which is also fascinating in and of itself. Cause I had a huge falling out with the damned. Yeah. Now here he is doing some, something for Dave Vanian or trying to later on. That's interesting. Um, But I think that I personally think that's what led to, and again, you or Steve or whoever be like, no, Jeff, you don't know what you're talking about, but that's just what I surmise in my mind, you know. Maybe it's it's like he but if you tried to second guess him on anything, he'd you know, he'd get angry and like tell you yeah. no, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. <laughs> well, you know what? You kind of you actually you blew my mind in my like deep diving research and all that stuff back when I start start first started doing the Lodi documentary. You said something in your interview that stuck with me forever. You said, you said it so matter-of-factly and it's just something that never had ever, like, I never made the connection. You go, yeah, dude, he's all about Bukowski. He's like, yeah, Bukowski is, you kept, you brought up Bukowski. I'm like, what does Bukowski have to do with anything? And then, you know, you look at the first record, he thanks Bukowski. And then you start, mm -hmm. he, he says in an interview, oh, there's only, only, there's always only been one guy uh, for, for lyrical influence. It is Bukowski. You look at the static age stuff theme for a jackal all that jazz bukowski yes. all bukowski blew my mind yeah well that and when i i first got in sam hain i was i i was out of the other you know the three guys i was basically the only one that had you know read books so um and had an interest in you know, literary stuff. Um, Cause you know, Steve and Erie didn't. So you keyed in on that. Yeah. I actually, I actually wanted to help him with the words. I was so, 
I was and such what, an How idiot. did he react to that? He didn't like it. I bet. I bet. So how did you get the gig? So so how did you get the gig? What 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 uh cuz they had Lyle from Minor Threat. Lyle played on some of Initium. I remember you telling me that you played on Initium too. What's the story with all that? Is no, that- I never played on that. I um maybe I'm wrong. Uh No overdubs or nothing? No. Oh. Nothing like that. But huh. um but I was um because when they did the recording too, it's like, um, you know, they did Lyle would come up and then after a while, Glenn realized like, I don't like this guy. And then, you know, they eventually, they would make fun of him. And, um, he, he, he always came off as a rich kid. All those, pretty much all the minor threat guys, well, well, him and Brian Baker, who I got to know later on, too. But, you know, you approach them at shows and, you know, they were just dicks. But here's my question. So you're in the peripheral. You're hanging around. Right. While Lyle is still sort of in the band. Mm-hmm. So what do you remember of like late 83? The Misfits breakup. What do you remember about the Misfits breaking up in particular? Do you remember hearing anything about that? It just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we'd see like Jerry and Doyle driving around in their blazers or their Corvettes or whatever they were driving at that point. Van Halen? With Van Halen blasting with the the huge spikes on the front. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of fizzled out. And then they were, you know, they were grumpy. And then Glenn was didn't want to ever have anything to do with them again And at that point. And that was pretty much it. And then I think they moved operations up to Vernon. And after that, I'd, I'd see, you know, you go shopping. Because I lived up in uh, Highland Lakes, which is part of Vernon. And no, I not know you, that. you go to the, you know, you go to the A&P late at night and there's Jerry buying buying groceries in a shirt that had like zippers on it. They're like, hey, how you doing? Oh! Ah! Yeah. <laughs> Christ the Conqueror. <laughs> yeah. Which I dug out the other day. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I knew I had it somewhere. I found it. Um, yeah. yeah. That's a trip. Yeah, that's, that's all I'll say about that, but yeah. Um, yeah. And that, you know, it was, it was two different camps, I guess you'd, you'd say. Yeah. But between, so there's like a lot of time though, before that first, Sam, that first Sam Hain show was in March. Yeah. Of 84. It ends in 83. So that all that time, I guess, is spent recording Initium and you're, kind of so that would mean at some point while yeah. while sorry go ahead um yeah that winter it was it, it was spent like recording um at off hours um at real platinum you know like three hours here and there and um eventually it gets you know it gets done 
and then there's the first show in March, and then you know, Lyle goes back to DC and they never talk to each other again. But Brian Baker was also involved at some point, but that was like right. earlier. Earlier, yeah. Um and he was at that show too. Oh, really? Yeah. Were you at you were at that show? Yeah. They used the the one of the I think Lyle used my guitar amp. Oh. Um, or Glenn did. Kinda, you're waiting in the wings, dude. You're just oh waiting. yeah, I was, Steve was yeah. giving me tapes, and uh, yeah, I was. Do you and, remember? Question. Sorry, didn't mean yeah. to cut you off. Question. Do you remember? Steve is giving you tapes. Did you? Do you? Do you remember listening to any sort of like just drums and guitar hardcore breakdown stuff that Steve and Glenn were doing that didn't have any vocals? Like, yeah, there was. Um, Steve had a, a Tascam 4 track in his room, and a lot of the demos were done on that. Interesting. And there was a lot of, you know, fooling around and Glenn playing, like, cowboy songs. <laughs> but um, that was, initially, that's what I heard. Um, was George Germain in the, in, in the picture at this point? if you even know who he is. Uh, yeah. Um, he might've, he, yeah, I think he did some of the, he came in and really, really annoyed Bob Alec at real platinum. Um, and then, I mean, after that, it was like, uh, we'd only, you know, we'd go see him because he lived in the same apartment complex as Steve. And uh, and then, you know, that was it. And I think by the time we got to uh, Unholy Passion, he was kind of out of the picture. But I could be wrong. What I'm trying to, you know, I've always tried to imagine what's Glenn's temperament around a guy like George Germain, especially if Glenn is like a guy who's, who's all like, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing, yada, yada, yada. And from what I've heard about George, George no, knew a little bit about everything and just was very knowledgeable, probably why he was annoying Bob Aleka to some point because he had to put throw his two cents in about how he knew about guitars and Les Paul and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and 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 uh, yeah, exactly. I showed George Benson this chord and... <laughs> So, so what, um, man, if that guy was alive, I'd love to just sit and talk, hear him talk for hours and hours. Oh, yeah. Um, but what, so what's Glenn's temperament towards a guy like that, that you, from what anything you remember? Uh, he glean whatever, um, whatever he needed to know from him and then reverse back into making fun of him 24 seven. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's his way of maintaining control in the situation. Whereas it's like, you know, he take whatever he needs and then, you know, you're just along for the ride. So henceforth, I can make fun of you. Um, tell me about, cause I'll, 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 we'll, we'll go down this road. Tell me about Glenn Danzig's basement. 
the legendary basement. <laughs> it was whatever you remember. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's just, I think about that house now. It was a two family house huh. and it was, it had to be the footprint 30 by 30. So the, his, I forget who lived upstairs, but um, the basement had, you know, it was like sort of an efficiency apartment with a, a separate kitchen, which never got used. And then, you know, Glenn's, all Glenn's crap. And then the other half was like a basement where we, you know, the laundry got done and um, we made t-shirts, et cetera, et cetera. What is, and so you go down there and it's just like Dr. Horror's cabinet of curiosities. Kind of. Um, his, you know, his Japanese action figures all over everything. I remember there was a, I think it was, he had a Wurlitzer piano. Um, you know, an electric piano, the, the A200 or whatever it is, which I now are the bane of my existence at my job. But um, he had that and the action figure set up on it. There's pictures. They're like the in that issue of Thrasher. That that's actually the that area, the kitchen, facing north. Um, I had heard from somewhere else that you know he had stacks and stacks of song ideas, compositions, papers. Did you ever ever see anything like that? Was that? part of the writing process in Sam Hain the way it might have been with the Misfits? Mm, not really. But uh, basically he would um, when we new material would be like, okay, this is a new song and here's the, the chords, here's the changes. There's three sections and there was no, we, we learned it. He arranged it himself. And um, we didn't know what was called really or the words until it got fleshed out later. Wow. But um, so he could keep all that stuff in his head. Mm -hmm. But I did have um, I did have some notes that uh, I think uh, right about the time I got canned that he had what we called the Alice Cooper ripoff, which turned into twist the cane, I think, but I had that written. It's his handwriting. I sold all that stuff too. So it's, Oh, I have pictures of all of it before you sold it. Cause I, Oh yeah, that's right. I scanned it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that was, that was the extent of you knowing where this was going. It's so crazy the amount of control mm -hmm. i mean but you know what what kills me at the same time and it, or at least maybe it was that way in sam hain but when i listened to like the horror business era i was talking about this recently and i've talked about this with several people on the phone recently and i just hear like you hear all of the stuff that bobby is doing on his in his guitar playing and i'm just going glenn didn't glenn didn't write that though like that that johnny thunders little thing at the end of like rare, 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 rare. 
Um, I just don't see how that was how that was Glenn. I can only think that that had to be Bobby. And what when in the creative process did it did it funnel down into what you're talking about in Sam Hain? Um. Well, he would he would ask for ideas occasionally. You know, like, um, like to walk the night. He's like, do something that sounds like, uh, you know, the two note solo that I wrote. Um, he said, do something that sounds like uh, Johnny Thunders or Jeff Beck. Hmm. So then I went home and I listened to like, you know, Beck's Bolero and a, a couple other records. And then came up with two notes. And it worked. I mean, I just feel like, I don't know where, I don't know when one thing becomes another thing in terms of like, you go from just being, when, when do you become an author versus, and essentially what he's doing with musicians is they become extensions of him. He mm -hmm. makes these people you know, extensions. He knows how to do everything and he can oversee everything, but you know, it allows for musicians with perhaps more flair to come in and do their own thing. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's using you as a tool. He's a general contractor. <laughs> he's a general contract. He's a, a, a musical general contractor. So when, okay. So when do you, so Lyle washes out. Mm -hmm. when uh when do you get the call what happens how does that go down uh i was i was there already in the periphery like you said right so you know we're you know glenn's hanging out with steve and you know glenn's got to go to the post office and the bank and so i'm in the car because steve's driving around because steve has a car and glenn doesn't glenn didn't drive at all no he did he in oh, fact yeah. he was for a guy that writes about death and destruction, he would give you a lecture on seat belts that you wouldn't believe. Get out of here. No, you can ask. Uh, you should talk to uh, Tarek Shapley, who was the original Horlords guitar player. Really? Yeah. And uh, they played shows with them. And Tarek's probably about my age exactly. And you know, I, think, I know Tarek. I know yeah. Tarek. I don't know him. I've, we've never met in person, but we've met through correspondence. And I was supposed to interview him a long time ago. He's in that photo with Glenn. He was at the 79 Irving Plaza yeah. show with his girlfriend. Um, yes, I need to talk to him at some point. And, you know, if you speak to him first, you tell him I will be in touch. Truly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I talk to him every once in a while. But yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, you guys went to the Misfits show together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, was at that, that show too. We were all at that show. You know, Pete, the, the the Misfits nerd inside of me is like, how many different lineups of different Glenn Danzig bands were at that Madison Square Garden show? And I was like, okay, three-fourths of Sam Hain, you know, three-fourths of the Static Age lineup, three-fourths of the new new Misfits lineup. You know, like it just was like went on and on and on. I was just like, I couldn't believe all the people that were at that show. Yeah, it was it was just surreal that like you know, go from like thinking like playing watching them play great Gildersleeves was a you know, that was a big show in eighty right. eighty three. And to, to it's like like 
you know, the gardens. Like, how did this happen? I could literally fill volumes of books talking about how did that happen. Like, yeah. just endless, endlessly blows my mind. I actually, um, it got to be too much for me at one point, and I fell asleep. Get out of here. Like an infant. You know, and too. You were so overstimulated. I guess so. That's and I just like I have to close my eyes. Did it? Um. How did it sound? It was too much. How did it sound to you from where you were? Wherever you were. Like an arena show. Not great. In your in your ex in your expert musician opinion of of everything. And what you're seeing on the stage and how it's rolling. I want to go back to Sam Hain, but I mm-hmm. want to just ask you this because you're really, I feel like you're, you're an authority on this, or at least maybe you would have some sort of insight that I would not have AC's up there. Doyle's up there. The band at, from a musical standpoint, what, I mean, what's going on is AC's holding, holding things together with his guitar or what's, what's going on with that? Cause everybody's like, Oh, Doyle's not playing. Doyle is playing. Doyle's Doyle. not playing. Doyle is playing. I right. I don't know. I really, I I don't understand that because, you know, Doyle's still making records. Right. That's what so I never understood. I just I didn't understand what the problem was. Well, I've heard why. I've heard why there's a second guitar player. I just I just don't understand how you know all the trolls and nerds on the internet are like he's not even playing. He's not even. And I'm like. I'm like Doyle. Yeah, Doyle puts out. He's put out two albums full of music. I, I've seen Doyle live in the flesh. The guy knows how to play a guitar. It's not like he doesn't know how to play guitar. You know, I don't. I don't think Glenn likes his tones. I think that's the problem. I think I, it's, yeah, I think Glenn. that's it. It's not. It's not. You know that Doyle doesn't know how to play. But I was just curious to know if you what. You know, it's just sort of interesting how they because uh, they're like, oh, we'll never be a five piece, but there they are. As yeah. A five piece. That's interesting. Um. I couldn't really differentiate it, but it, you know, it was fun just watching Doyle. That's, I mean, if yeah. he wasn't there, and I know Glenn didn't want him there, um, it wouldn't have been as good. No, he's he's a necessary component, right? The, in the same way that Jerry is, and you know, I saw plenty of those Danzig and Doyle shows, and it was great. It was it was honestly it was excellent from a musical standpoint. I'm like, great, I don't need anything else, but. There's something about having Glenn, Jerry, and Doyle together. Yeah. Jerry doing his power slides. Jerry doing, Jerry filling in the backing vocals. You know, it just seeing those two side by side. That's the Misfits. It's the Misfits. You know. Yeah. Um. Okay. Going back to. Okay. Going back to Sam Hain. Going back mm-hmm. to the basement. We talk about making T-shirts. So Glenn is doing something so unbelievably interesting. And I would say maybe even sets him apart from many of the other punk bands at the time who are still doing DIY stuff. I mean, Glenn is really DIY in the sense that not only is he, you know, uh, putting together independent releases on plan nine, but he's essentially, he's essentially doing apparel in his basement, DIY, like handmade completely. What's that all about? How's that work? How involved is Erie in that process at this point? I know you guys are all helping, but yeah, I don't know. Well, Erie also did, um, he did silk screens 
what I guess he started in high school art class, and he uh, he did like the uh, you know the I think the Simon Bar Sinister shirt and the underdog shirt, and um, you know we all helped, but uh, you know Glenn would come up with the the screen and then do it. And he'd actually make the screens himself, I think, because he had a he had an enlarger, a photographic enlarger that you right. And because um, I I had been up until I up until I um, started getting really involved playing guitar, I was I was into photography, huh. which which when I started playing guitar, that drove my parents nuts that I would, I could actually have a vocation that they are, cause I was, I was a terrible student. I wanted to quit school. Right. Um, and now I was going to throw it all away for a guitar. And, um, yeah, so I understood some of what he was doing and, and Erie did too. Uh, but, you know, it, yeah, it was, it was, if we had been able to record ourselves, I'm sure we would have. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Fo so the photo enlarger, that's the thing. That's like the projector style, projector style mm -hmm. thing, right? Yeah. You see, you don't see that anymore in, in today's classrooms, but at back in the day, 70s, 60s, yeah. 70s, 80s, all the way up through the 90s, um, that I'm, was like such yeah. a needed tool. I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure mine's still in my uh, my parents' attic. Nice, yeah. Um, and so Glenn had, you know, Glenn didn't work a straight job, but Glenn was making dough with this mail order business that he had basically he basically started a mail order hot topic in his basement. Yeah, the Fiend Club, the Fiend Club, which is kind of blows. I I revel in this all the time. The idea that this dude was doing. He's basically just making counterculture stuff that he's really into and selling it to his fan base directly through a mailing list network. Yeah, hang on. Go ahead. No, we're, we're still in March 1983. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just kind of blows my mind that the, the uh, and just doing it because it's cool, because it's just what he wants to do. You know, yeah, and he, uh, I don't know whether we would have gotten that far if I mean, if he wasn't living at home with his parents because, right. yeah, he was making money off this, but I don't right. think you could have supported yourself. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, so here's the next thing I want to talk about, and this is what blows me away two things. Thing number one about Sam Hain in general. Sam Hain is, and I've spoken about this with Steve. Mm. I'm curious to hear what you think. Sam Hain is like this insane, like thing within the hardcore scene because okay. it's not, it's like, it's, it's, it's death rock. It's post-punk. It's goth with hardcore, but it's almost like, it's almost like, the misfit of hardcore even of itself because 
you know, it's sharing, you know, you guys are sharing bills with all these other cookie cutter hardcore bands, some of them at least. Yeah. And um, you guys are doing this unbelievably different thing. Uh, is there ever, um, do you ever get annoyed or has there ever been a time when like, like a journalist is writing about Sam Hain? They never seem to get it right, like what it was. They always call it more metal or something. And it's like none of those things. Is there ever a time where you think that 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 it's being accurately described? Um, I I never thought it was. You know, people are good. People are gonna see what they want to see. Which I was just happy that I was, I was like being noticed. You know, and that that I mean, at what twenty one? You know, that's right. you know, that's I was like, oh wow, we're in this. You know, we're in um, what, flesh and bones or something, you know, yeah. like some fanzine. You know, it's like, look, look, Dad, I'm in, I'm in this, and he's like, yeah, how much Dad money there? did you make? <laughs> of course, yeah, of course. Um, so how? Okay, from a musician standpoint, and from a musician who's playing this music, what, like, what is it like? what is Sam Hain doing that makes it more unique in that kind of way? Cause in my mind, I, you know, I can point to the drumming and go, well, the drumming is, seems to be less high heavy. It's more about like tribal drums, which everybody seems to sort of pick up on. There's, like I said, there's the, 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 the gothy aspect. You have the chimes and the bell tolls and yada, yada, yada. But like, what about maybe like the guitar? Like, is there something that I'm missing here or what is it that makes it different from other hardcore? Um, it's the, it's not blues based, oh. and in fact, after I got um, after I got canned, I had um, as uh, you know as the speaking as like a regular guitar player. It it you that you know what happened? Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> she doesn't understand this. Um, they never do mine no. either. <laughs> uh, it, it was so non blues based it, or, you know, like regular rock guitar that it took me about a year to get back where I could actually play with people that weren't doing that. Wow. So wait. I'm, this is blowing my mind. So what base, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that because it's not blues based, you had to sort of like, it's like you're rewiring your brain to play guitar in this other way. Mm -hmm. You come out of that and you're like, I need to rehabilitate myself of right. like playing like that. Cause it was, it was too much. I backed into a corner. Wow. Just such a, it's such a pigeonhole. Um, so there's no room to grow or evolve in that. Style. Well, yeah, that that's it's we get to a certain point and then it, you know, then he it turns into dancing. Right. Which is like a blues based. Right. Rock and roll band. Because when you go so far outside of the box, the only place to go is to go it's, back in the box. Right. It's It's to. You know, it's, it's, I guess like Rick Rubin was like, I like what he's doing, but we, you know, we have to, 
we have to make this palatable to your average chain walleted denim jacketed dent head right so um so when you say it's not blues based which you totally i think you totally as again as a non-musician you really explain that's such a great explanation if i could turn the dial one step further mm -hmm. so if it's not blues based then what is what is it what is like what I I would almost I don't know, but it it just didn't have the the, the structure. Gotcha. You know the 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 building of you know start in A, go to D, C, G. You know, like that kind of that kind of thing. Like the hungry end, the guitar on the hungry end. That is probably one of the weird, yeah, the weirder songs, or like November come November's fire. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I hadn't, um, uh, I, I hadn't played that in years. And one of the guys that worked for me, Johnny uh, Rosado, was a big Sam Hain fan when he was a kid. He's a, he's also like a like a, I'd say a, the third generation hardcore New York dude with the craze and he has some other bands but uh he was like how do you play that and it's just like i don't know i don't remember <laughs> we we sat around for like half an hour and figured it out i remember it was a weird like a reverse d chord but it, it took a while to figure it out that is so mind i want to talk about we talked about this nine years ago mm. you may not remember but i was i was asking you i don't think it was on tape but i was like I was just like, what is it, you know, you work in a, in a guitar related industry. So they're obviously going to be, Sam Hain is not going to be known by your average alternative music fan, but someone who knows their stuff is going to know Sam Hain and be like, you know, like, whoa. And what's that like to just be like, it's like, you're just this, you're this dude, but you're also like the guitar player for this like revered band from yeah. like back in the day. It's kind of crazy. There was, the, there was a, uh, the first guy that figured that out besides Brian Highland, who I, I worked with, who was a, like a, a Necros guy. And then he moved to New York was, um, Dougie Needles from, uh, Joan Jett. Ooh. Doug Cangelosi. He was the first one that, that he was like, I know what you did. I know who you are. And at that point, I was like, "Yeah, well, whatever." Yeah, but I, you know, I'd rather talk about, uh, or just focus on what I was doing then. Right. But um, yeah, later on, you know, and we get these, these, you know, the drivers that they're Misfits fans, and you can tell it's like they're dying to ask me stuff. Oh yeah, and does their face yeah. change? Do they just like drop? They're like. Uh, one of them did. You got to understand, though, it's one thing. It's one thing when you meet someone like, you know, what, what like Tom Cruise or Nicolas Cage or some like real, like larger than life sort of like presence and you act that way. But I feel like that has the same that you have the same sort of reaction when it's someone from something that you really, really love or obsessed with or whatever. 
And it's like this thing, it, it almost seems to be like the reverse when it's a thing that maybe you don't get to share with people on a regular basis. So to be in the presence of it all the time or to be in the presence of it and just go like, oh my God, you're the dude. I like, you know, listen to friggin', you know, Unholy Passion EP like a thousand times. And then like, you're, you're just like, there, are just like, yeah, dude, I'm just Pete, just chilling, you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I did that, thing. but we need to get this truck loaded. Right. <laughs> I just love that's so funny, man. Like, just like to be like that. That's just such an interesting, surreal, awesome thing. Um, so okay, so to continue on in our in our sort of uh understanding and whatnot. So Nishim comes out, you're in the band, you're playing Unholy Passion. I mean, oh, that's what I wanted to ask. So then what about a song like Macabre? Like blows my mind. When you really think about out of all the songs in Sam Hain, I know there's some other ones, but I think about a song like Macabre being played at like a hardcore show somewhere in Middletown, USA in the mid eighties. Like what the F what is that about? You know, some people got it and some did. I I remember we played um, St. Louis and I think we played with like drunks with guns and, um, uh, some some other band that 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 my another coworker plays drums for now in New York, um, but an early version of it, and they didn't like us at all. In fact, it was like there was the there was glass ashtrays around the club, and you know they were throwing them at us. Wow, I got you know you had. Occasionally, you know, like people would try to like pour beer in your boots, and um, and they, yeah, because it was something like that too. Was girls got it a little better? Huh. I mean, and and, you know, every every fucking skinhead was you know like immediately hated us, which which came to a fruition in um columbus ohio where they these a bunch of guys said they were they were gonna like get us and like burn the van or whatever and oh my god so we put the the one of the the kids from maurice out and (laughs) out in the van to make sure and this one dude who was from Passaic, by the way those dudes loved you guys. Those Maurice guys yeah. loved you. And they, uh, and this guy slashed all the tires on the Hertz rental van and then wow. denied it when we came outside. And uh, the cops, I think the cops took him away on some unrelated burglary charge that they couldn't finger him for, but they knew he did it. Wow. And I, th- I heard later he, he died got killed in jail so let me ask you this what about so you 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 make it all the way to frisco right Mm -hmm. make it all the way out to frisco i've heard someone who was at both shows the sam hayne show and the misfit show Mm -hmm. sort of tell the story is there any sort of because here's the thing and and i want to get your opinion on this as well even by this time the everything that happens in the misfits or a lot of the stuff that happens in the misfits at least in those 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 punk pockets wherever they are in the united states Mm. 
whether it be by fanzine or however, telephone, the, the mythology of the misfits is spread even by that point. Am I correct on that? Would it be, or is it, or is it, has it not fully flourished? No, it hadn't yet. Okay. There so was... then what about the Doyle L. Kabong incident where he, he cracks some kid over the thing yeah. and like. That, what, is that there... happened. Right. Yeah, so there... is there any, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I mean, Glenn told us about that. And, and you know, at the time he, he was probably like really upset, but it, it, it became funny later on, which I think that happened upstairs at the on Broadway where, uh, and we were at the map downstairs. And I remember him talking about that. Um, but you're on your way to play Frisco um, in Samhain. Is there any sort of apprehension about going there because of what had happened previously? There might've been, but I mean, but he was really paranoid about everything. Huh? And I mean, that's, that's part of his personality that they're, they're out to get me. Right. Like the, like uh, in London dungeon with London dungeon. Yeah. Or, or, (laughs) you know, believe it or not, he came in uh, on the Avenue B Iggy tour. He came to uh, one of the shows we did with Steve in London. Wow. And was, I mean, came backstage and was acting like, you know, just completely paranoid. Over what? There was nothing to be paranoid about. I was like, hey, Glenn, you want to take a picture with me and Iggy? He's like, no, can't do that. And I thought, you know, Iggy thought it was hilarious. So Iggy Pop and Glenn Danzig were backstage at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. What does Iggy Pop know of the Misfits or Sam Hain or any of that stuff? Does Iggy Pop like have any sort of understanding? Jim, Jim, does Jim have any kind of understanding of that stuff? Uh, kind of. And he always knows more than he lets on. Really? Mm-hmm. He so did. Like a... Before he hired me, he did, you know, he did a bunch of figured out what I'd done. Oh. So he's asking you about playing in Sam Hain and whatnot. Uh, yeah, like he he wanted to he you know well he wants to know he's he's a deep thinker. Wow. And um, yeah, you know he wants to know well what you'd think about it a lot of times and uh, you know I remember when I auditioned I went over to his apartment and. Um, you know, we played some, I showed him a weird tuning and then on guitar and uh, we played for a while. And um, where was I going with this? I don't know, but I really have a lot of, I really want to talk about Iggy Pop because that's my other big obsession after Danzig and Miss, which is why you're like the coolest dude ever that you have feet in both of those worlds Let, let's finish up with the sam hand and then we'll get okay to, yeah let's... we're gonna get to that because that's i'm that is like to I, I can't wait to talk about that um so all right so you're so here's another question i have so at this time there's also legacy of brutality going on in addition to unholy passion yeah um he's he's playing he's he's playing on that um let me ask you this there at i don't know you must have been still in the band at this point unless it, this was after 
the final Sam Hain show. Were you around when Erie and Glenn are recording uh, uh, new tracks for Misfits Collection that, that would eventually be on Misfits Collection too? I, I was I was doing other stuff. It's okay. like I had a, those guys didn't work. So it's like I'd hear about what they were doing. Gotcha. So I was, you know, I was, I was doing construction. So I was working. So I'd hear about it when I got home. So what do you think of the song Mephisto Waltz? It's like a weird sort of situation. Are you familiar with that song? I've heard it. It's like a Sam Hain song. It sounds like it was recorded by Sam Hain because the, you know, Glenn was in Sam Hain when he did it. He did it with Erie. Yeah. But yet it's a Misfits track. It's like the weirdest think. thing. Yeah. Okay, um, moving on. All right, so then you got Unholy Passion, great EP. You do that. And I mean, really, you know, Sam Haynes only around for two years, but I mean, you guys did a lot of stuff in two years. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Two, two albums, one LP, coast to coast touring. Um, what, tell me about the process of, well, first of all, tell me about the process of Unholy Passion. You go into the studio, really, you go into the studio and Glenn kind of has it all figured out already. Right. But we've, we've rehearsed the songs to death without vocals. So you never hear the vocals until the recording. Right. Get out of here. Yeah. He'd stand there and glower at you. <laughs> wow, and um, but I think that was after the recording. I, I think that uh, that's what broke Steve that record. What unholy passion? Yeah. What was it? The drum play? You mean like the drum playing, or just? Yeah, I think I think the whole thing it really challenged him. Wow. Well, it's not easy drumming, right? No, no, it's not. Yeah. I've watched Steve. I've watched you guys. I forgot where it was. It was one of those videos. Maybe it's from the box. I watch. I'm watching all you guys play. I'm watching everything. I'm watching Steve go at it. And it just looks, doesn't look easy. And he's doing backing vocals yeah. on a mic, too. That cannot be easy. No. And then you guys jump on double bass while he's playing guitar for Archangel. Why? Why two basses? Uh, I guess that song was so special to him. He told me like, you're never going to be able to play this right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll play, I'll play bass on that. But what are you going to say? No. So weird. Yeah. Fair. It's, it's so, that is so bizarre to me. And then I want to, I think it would be crazy not to highlight the specialness of, in my opinion, it almost is like if Sam Hain had a stairway to heaven, it, this would be that song. Uh, Halloween 2, the way that you guys do it, the way that it builds, it really is something else. And what was like, he comes down, he's like, we're just going to, we're going to do Halloween 2, but we're going to do it like this. Or, oh, excuse me. How does that go down? I don't remember exactly. We just started playing. He said, "Yeah, let's do Halloween too." Huh. And uh yeah, we played it real slow and 
I had that. I had that Ibanez uh, flanger, which uh, which any of those songs like that they have the one or two chords, two notes that I would use it on because it would stretch the riff out. Huh. It seemed. So I used that on there, and uh, yeah, that was always fun to play. Dude, it's like. I see that when, especially in 85, there's a show where Erie's Erie has platinum blonde hair and he's wearing mm-hmm. the Venom shirt and you guys are playing. I don't know where the hell you're playing. Steve is still in the band and you guys are doing that song and it's just something else. It is something else. Just uh, it, the way that it builds and builds and builds and until the final, uh, must have driven people nuts. What was that? Let me ask you this. What was it like? Is Glenn frustrated? Is anybody flustered? And people just, Go, where's the where's the misfit songs i want misfit songs you know is, is that why london dungeon is there is that why all hell is there you know who killed Marilyn? well he he didn't want to do them at first but then i i think since he wrote everything that he would you know he's like eh, i want to bring this one back right right and you uh you did play blood feast on a few occasions mm-hmm. it's a shame it's a crime that it was never recorded well, that was actually written for Sam Hain. Right. As you said. Yeah. Do you think do you think that do you think that some of those Earth AD songs would translate well if they were Sam Hainified and vice versa? Could you turn Sam Hain songs into Earth AD misfits and vice versa, or is it just impossible? Uh that was that was um that was carefully avoided. Mm. Because they he had that the Jerry and Doyle stigma, he thought at that point. Whereas it's like when we did Blood Feast, he's like, yeah, these guys ruined this. And here's the way it's supposed to go. Wow. Yeah. Because I started playing it like Doyle did. He's like, no, 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 no. I wrote this like this. And this, you know, and then like Green Hell, it was like, he's like, you know, it's like a James Brown tune. <laughs> what the f- So Green Hell blood feast yeah what else i'm trying because there's about half of earth ad is not is meant for sam hain yeah okay green hell you just confirmed that one what about hellhound maybe no not no that was that was like a throwaway i think what about um what about daemonomania no none of of those that that's Um. like i i think he had by that point um he might have felt trapped by the two other guys and had to write things like that. Either that or he wrote them differently and they just sped everything up. Wow. So moving on, you, you do, so you, you, Unholy Passion comes out and it's like the release schedule is kind of insane because again, this is a two-year period. Mm-hmm. So what? You put in something out and then you just tour in heavy behind it. Yeah. What about the pressing story? You go to the long I you go to Long Island. Yeah. What's going on there? Why the guy wasn't around and you had or he was no, he was more interested in in uh I guess there was a bigger market for he had people buying like these bootleg beetle sergeant pepper or it was like i think he showed us abbey road oh 
And uh, Glenn's like, Charlie, you can't do that. And lo and behold, months later, the FBI came in and got him. But we had a, um, I went out there with, the, that was the origin of the seatbelt story too. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to CSI or whatever the pressing plant's called. So I drove out there with Glenn in his father's like car. And it turns out we were trying to pick the records up, but he hadn't pressed any yet. So we had to do it ourselves. He uh, he showed us or showed me how to run the presses. And then that's how job hazard. Yeah, that that's how um, the records got made. And that that's why some of them, one of them had the presses had like you take the vinyl and throw it in a bin. It, I guess yeah. it's different now, but um, and it would melt and there was white in it already. So we a couple of the. um the first few were very, like almost pure white. And holy fashion? Uh, no, the Initium. Oh, of Initium, right. Initium, uh, Unholy Passion was only, that, that didn't get colors until later on. Gotcha. But that was, all these were initial runs of 5,000. Um, wow. And then you take them to the distributors and they were on like a 90 day, they didn't have to pay you for 90 days. Wow. So we never made we never made the money back to like press another run of five thousand. It wasn't until later on that he got involved with Caroline that they did that. Right, right. That's how Caroline, but Caroline, the Caroline connection, as I recently was illuminated to me, the Caroline connection started all the way back in seventy nine with uh uh with Beware and and that whole jam, which I did not know. There was that's how he first made contact with Caroline. Yeah, they were they were just I'm a distributor mind. first. I'm they're, sorry. They're like them, Green World, Gem. Uh yeah, but you said they were a what kind of distributor first? They, they were they just were a record distributor. Oh, right, 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 right. That that you'd give them there was it was a network of right. Even uh you just give them the record and they send it to different stores they had they had a better network than you could have um this all started about like the new wave era you know like 78 wow. 77 because i remember working at a record store when i was in high school and the, the the gem catalog would get mailed to you and they'd have all these weird records that that you couldn't get wow so that's the way we ordered the Otter stuff, but so they wait. yeah like they wouldn't pay you for ninety days, and sometimes they wouldn't pay you. How frustrating! So, yeah, and so you know we didn't have time to like get into that, and then by the th that time the band was over. And you were there was a whole debacle. He'd already had he'd already gotten burned by Slash. Yeah. Over Walk Among Us. Yeah. So Earth AD initially came out on plan nine after the misfits broke up he mm -hmm. didn't have he just put it out completely by himself uh yeah but you'd still have to involve a pressing plant gotcha um yeah i remember when that came out it was like it was a thursday night 
my sister was, uh, we had the Pat Duncan show on WFMU and in the, on in the living room, my sister was, uh, cutting Jim Wallerstein's hair in the living room. And, uh, Pat's the, you know, have you ever listened to Pat Duncan? I have not. I have He's, not. He I'm was like super dry and unemotional for this for this music that drove kids insane. And he's like, "Oh, Jerry Only's just walked into the studio and threw a copy of the New Earth AD at me, so we're gonna play it." <laughs> and you hear Jerry in the background, like, "Oh yeah." But here's what I don't understand. So if the band breaks up, Glenn and Jerry are not talking anymore. That that took a while, I think. What them not talking anymore? Yeah, that I, really. That, yeah, I, I because everybody was still. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that actually took longer than it would. It seemed. Or, All right, you're blowing my mind right now because the legend, the 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 lore is always that when he course. got out, yeah, he got out, he got his stuff. They never spoke again until the lawsuits. Maybe, you know, maybe they didn't. And it's crazy. I just, yeah, I just remember like the, those guys had copies of Earth AD. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, did you ever notice, you know what I never noticed until very recently? If you look on the wolf's blood side, that there are skull testicles and a snake cock right there mm-hmm. on the, I was like, we were going through the book, the, the new Scream With Me book. And I was just like, I was like, well, there they are. There's those skull, those skull balls and that that snake cock. Because <laughs> you know, Glenn Danzig sees, oh, hmm. Yes. Yeah. Skull, skull dick and snake balls. Perfect for my record. Yeah. That was now who drew that? Was that Mad Mark Rude? That was not. That was not. That was somebody that was a different artist. I forget the name in the book. Um, we went over that in the Scream With Me episode for my other podcast show, uh, Streaming Evil Live. Mm-hmm. But Here's what I always wondered. So did the record, did Earth AD take so long to come out because they waited a whole year for Mad Mark Rude to finish that cover? That's that's a legend. Because it took him a year. Yeah. Pen and ink. Yeah. Wow. Too bad. That's a guy I wish I could talk to to pick his brain. Mad Mark Rude, he's passed. He didn't have a refrigerator. Okay. He sounds like he wouldn't have a, uh, a phone or a microphone to talk talk on either. Uh, no, it was it was pretty grim staying out at his house. Wow, he had a Mad Max leather jacket, right? Yeah, he used to, yeah, he used to wear his jacket. He had the he had the full thing, the the, the shoulder. Uh, I don't know. He might have at one point, but I mean, we were well. Me and my friends were all into that. We were way into that. Me too, man. That's and, my story. Uh, and um Glenn liked that movie. Yeah. He wrote a good review of it. Yeah. Um, so okay, so hold on to to, to push us forward here. Mm-hmm. So you do that, you you mix you mix in the records. I've heard this several I've heard this story several different I don't know if there there might have been more than one incident where where there was where Glenn had to pour the pellets in. It might not I've I've heard this story other ways other people in different situations and i've come to surmise that it just must have happened several times and the guy what'd you say his name was charlie of the charlie must have felt comfortable 
just letting Glenn and whoever he had with him just pour pellets into his machine. Yeah. Just blows my mind. Just showed showed us what to do. And yeah, that was it. And then he disappeared to go do his nefarious bootlegging again. And Glenn and and Glenn's telling you, or he's just saying in general, I want he's like, hey, don't clean that or something. I want I want to swirl things up. No, we didn't know. Oh, you just did it was just an accident. Yeah. That's even cooler. The last uh, the last white one uh I had I traded to Johnny Rosado. Plus I was supposed to give him some other stuff for this. Um he had he has a fair he had a fairly rare Ibanez guitar. Um it's called Whoa. a Futura. Okay. And it's it's a basically a copy of a Gibson Modern that they never made. And it was his uncle's and he hated it. And uh I he was like, Yeah, I got one of those. I was like, Really? I'd like to see that. So he so he at at that point the record the white record might have been a couple hundred bucks. So I was supposed to give him trade him that and some other shit for uh for the guitar. But at this point, the white record's worth about three times what the guitar is. So so I was like, you know, you know, uh, you got you got the better end of the deal here. He's like, Yeah, I still hate that guitar. <laughs> so Dude. I'm like, Great, I got what I wanted. He got what he wanted. But that stuff is that stuff is gold. I know. Right, it's, so it's like that white they're like ten thousand dollars or something. They're going, they're just the market is the market exploded. I don't yeah. know what happened. Uh it, it happened a with a bunch of records, and it's just we've been watching that stuff on eBay just explode and it just it's I don't know if it's messing up the collector's market, but oh my lord, the the money that's being uh uh made or you know paid for for these things, these these trinkets yeah it's, it's like every scrap every butt hair every you know booger is like just mm-hmm. you know it's it's history it's solid gold um so to move it forward you have you have november coming fire which is like yeah what an album. by the way did you guys ever joke about the sour cream thing you know the sour cream thing november coming fire Sour cream, sour. Everybody on the internet is like, not everybody, but like uh, people. No, but uh, <laughs> I tried to with Chicken John from Ledge Patrol. We tried to do a version of Halloween as sour cream at one point. Oh, that's nice. That's fun. Yeah. That's fun. Um, but what was recording that record like? Huh? What was recording November Coming Fire like? Uh pretty straightforward because you know we had the process down at that point right um i brought in uh my 50 watt marshall and um that got the well bob aleka who's used to doing dance records so i think that gave that the unique sound it had wow I've always wanted to go back and like re-record things and but then it would just end up like a slayer record. Right. So we'll just leave that as is. But yeah, that was it was pretty straightforward. And Glenn plays about half the drums on that thing. I had forgotten about that. All I uh that somebody else mind. was 
somebody else was saying that and i was like no it's only human pony girl but but, but eerie eerie said it was like six songs yeah i yeah. i had forgotten about that completely whether i didn't want to remember it or right or whether i just didn't or i wasn't there because london london was fresh in the band he mm -hmm. didn't know the material glenn just sat it and you know glenn's playing on the who killed Marilyn single yeah. not very good no it's but you not couldn't tell him that no, but you want to know something is playing on November Coming Fire is insane. It's good. It's really good, which yeah, kind of blows my mind. Because it's out of the box. Right. Right. Well, no one, you know, <laughs> it explains a lot. It's it's fascinating to me. Um, and so when does Metallica come into the picture here? Because you knew those guys back in the day. Yeah. The first time we met them was um, uh, they came they came to that uh Mabue garden show wow and that was all through cliff yeah but it was i don't i didn't see him there but but uh i broke a string and kirk hammett re restrung it for me nice i was like i know these guys from somewhere <laughs> it's you know having looked at their, their like metal fanzines Right. seen them because they had but um they didn't uh things i did on guitar they they some things they didn't it didn't occur to them huh like in the the g chord and in halloween in the chorus where i do this billy gibbons thing where you play the like five open strings mute the a and then i pull the g flat up into g on the the bottom string and both i remember like kirk and james are like when i did that really yeah and i was like you know the one guy's like i couldn't do that and they had a special pipeline to glenn and erie or whoever it was like just give us shirts like or we want shirts and they would just send care packages of shirts to metallica maybe yeah and that is like the genesis the main genesis of, of everything going mainstream pretty much yeah it's crazy that's crazy to me so november coming fire comes out you guys do some more touring new music seminar happens and ruben ruben sees sam hayne and is like i want glenn he didn't want the rest of you guys initially no he, I mean, five minutes after we were done, he starts in the divide and conquer shit. Yeah. He's whispering in everybody's ear. Well, or Glenn's, Glenn's ear. but he's, you know, he, he told me, he's like, you always play that crappy. How? He said that to you? Yeah. And I said, wait a minute. You were, I was like, you were in hose. I was going to beat you up and take your Les Paul Jr. Because you were a rich kid. Oi. So, I was, I was, I was like, "What do you? You can't play guitar. I've seen you play guitar, and you know it got into a, a, an argument, which is exactly what he wanted." Right. And so, how soon after that are you asked to leave, or removed, or fired, or however you want to put it, from the band? Weeks. Wow. A week, maybe. But there. Have you, you guys are, are, here's the other thing I don't understand. At this point, 
are you involved? Is there something happening with the fourth Samhain record, Samhain Grimm? Is that going down at all, or had that just been? No, there was a, there was a couple of, you know, he was writing new new material, but that's it. Gotcha. So, but no plans to record anything yet. No. Gotcha. So, you leave, you exit the band. Do you hear anything after your exit, or are you? Has it just become an iron curtain from which you just? completely excise yourself at that point no i was um basically uh when we got london he stayed he stayed at my family's house for a while oh. until he got his own apartment and um so i was i was still talking to him so he was right so he was in the and that's when those recordings must have happened the twisted right. cane yeah. possession yeah, towards the left hand, and then he was the next one that, that right, went. right, and so they were, yeah. So he it was slowly and it was slowly happening, and the only person that stayed on at Glenn's behest was Erie because, right. from my understanding, Ruben didn't want Erie at first. No, yeah, wow. Um, and and then you got involved with wow so that's cra- so you're still so you're out of the band but London is staying at your house he's still in the band well you're no he just- he had, he had his own place by then but oh. I was still- you guys still talked yeah gotcha gotcha um and then how did you get involved with Brain Eaters uh I mean Joe was Joe's a Sam Hain fan so what he was just like. Pete come play for my band or something. I I don't even remember how they they somehow they somehow got my phone number. He got my phone number up in Vernon in Highland Lakes. Gotcha. And I was like, all right, you know why not? Because he loved that. That dude was super into like goth and post punk and all sorts of stuff. You're perfect fit for for what he was doing. What he wanted. Yeah. That um, uh, that record apparently is coming out. I hope, at least, I hope it's coming out. Finally, Dawn maybe. of the Dead, something like that. Um, and then, okay, so so bring me. So how does how does Iggy Pop? How do you get involved, Iggy Pop? Now, mind you, I know you're a, a, a huge. I mean, you're a huge punk rock fan in general, but you are also a you're a Stooges man. You like yeah. Iggy Pop. I mean, you, you you like all this stuff. You follow you follow this guy. How do you get that gig? How does it happen? Well, there was there was all sorts of other things I did in between that. Well, you played with uh, Brain Damage too, right? What? Brian Keats. You played with him too. Oh yeah, I was in Genocide for five minutes. That was uh, I was I was into anything that had a logo. Gotcha basically like sub kiss like they had it you know if you had a, if you had a backdrop and all and armbands and and uh and your logo on the, all the guitar cabinets and shirts i was just like what singer's crazy just got out of jail i'm in and, yeah, so uh that was i i love genocide they were, i thought they were the greatest thing the the later version with- and he never talked to you about what had happened to him brian no no he was already um uh he was in hellbent 
Right. Another band that I, I really loved that I thought right. should have been huge. Um, but For it, those who after, don't know what I'm talking that, about. He went to like Princess Pang. Right. And He's and, in a lot. He did played for a lot of bands. Yeah, I, and it, it, he gradually went into like New York glam metal direction. And I, you know, I'd see him occasionally and you know, he never mentioned the Misfits. I think he for was just embarrassed. Yeah, for those who don't know, he was the final drummer on that final fateful night. Actually, Todd Swallow was. Right, Todd. Yes, Doyle, sorry. Doyle picked up right. Brian by the neck and and right, then yes. installed Todd. We don't want to overwrite the infamous, not infamous, famous, whatever you want to call him, just the 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 heavy hitting Todd, Todd Swallow from the Necros, but the, the the official the official drummer yeah. as he had a cool haircut was Brian. Keats, aka Brain Damage, who went on to who was an incredible drummer and played in a lot of bands. He's not with us anymore. Um, but uh yeah, him and him and Pete were in genocide together, and he never mentioned it. His Crazy. birthday actually uh the day before mine, February 5th. Wow. Um, so you play in genocide, but what but what leads you? You've done a bunch of stuff, right? Of course, not to undermine any of that, but what, how does this life changing, mind boggling, surreal, it must have been surreal for you to oh. suddenly be in the presence of a living legend, like a god that is James Osterberg, Giggy Pop? Well, I was the guitar tech. <laughs> oh. They, re they rehearsed, once again, they rehearsed at SIR and um, the. He had at one point the Ramones drum tech Mitch Keller um, doing lights for him. So they need a guitar tech, and Mitch doesn't want to use Rick Weinman, who's the Ramones guy, and and quite a jerk as I remember. Hmm. Um, so he uses me, and. Um, for the, this is like um, Rockford Choice Show in L.A. And it's that right about then. So I had met him a couple of times in the studio. And uh, I got to know his manager, Art Collins. That was a really great guy. Died way too young. Um, so uh, Mitch tells Art, like, yeah, we should take Pete with us. So on guitar at that point, he had, um, Jesus, what's his name? It was Hal Cragen, Larry, and uh, why can't I remember his name? I'll come. Any, anyway, so uh, so I get, we, we do the show and they had brought Whitey back in or Jim had brought to like, these guys turned out to be like the cursed brothers. Well, not yet, but um, it was Hal and Eric, Eric Shermerhorn. And after they did that huge American Caesar tour, I had worked for them before that. Okay, and so around 93. You're right, 93. You... So he comes back and starts rehearsing in 96. And then Mitch gets me to do guitars for that show. 
Shermer Horn. I'm not even sure he even plays guitar anymore, but he, I heard he does a lot of voiceover stuff in LA. Interesting. He had a good radio voice, but he's like, he's like a really uptight guitar player. And those guys, I think at some point got to be too musician like for Jim. They, they didn't have enough. Oomph. Oomph Punk energy. for him. Yeah. And, uh, so he gets, to that end, he gets Whitey Cursed back on second guitar, and Eric and Hal hate him. And because they think he's a terrible guitar player, blah, 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 whatever. So we're on our way back on the to New York on the flight from L.A., and I guess Eric got up and told Iggy, he's like, Either I'm the guitar player or, you you know, fire Whitey or I'm quitting. On the And, you know, just pulled that out in the middle of a flight. And uh, you don't do that with, with Iggy. As with Glenn, you don't give him an ultimatum. They're, they're similar in some ways. Yeah. So Jim was like, fine, quit. So Eric quits and <laughs> Jim's like, you know, to Art, his manager, like, well, what do we do now? And uh, Art's like, Pete plays guitar. And Jim's like, hmm, oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's, Dude. he calls me He calls me at work at uh, at SIR. And, uh, Just like, hey, it's Jim. <laughs> well, it's the receptionist that picks it up. He's like, hey, it's Ziggy. Uh, I need to talk to Pete. And you hear him over the PA, like, Pete, Iggy's on the phone. <laughs> and everybody stops and looks at me. And so I pick it up. And he's like, yeah, I uh, think you can help me out. You want to play guitar? I'm like, No, sorry. I have a, yeah. I have a chess no. match. <laughs> no, so no. I go over to his house on my birthday. And uh, Best birthday we, we just, we play for a while. He goes, yeah, you can do this. And you know, all, do you know most of the Stooges stuff at that oh, point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the Lust for Life and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Anything? Wow. I'd always played those, a lot of those tunes in bands before. Right. Anything. In high school. You know, and it's like I described it as like, uh, you know, I'm playing tunes with the guy who wrote them that, that I played in bands in high school. And um, you play both guitar and bass at different times in that yeah. band. It started with guitar and then went to bass. Yeah, I was the second guitar. guitar player. And then um, okay. uh, we got, I guess he was looking to change things up. So he got uh, Moose Man from Body Count. Okay. Play bass. And we did a, one or two shows like that. But, I mean, he's you know, a great guy and, and great bass player, but it just it wasn't exactly right. Right. Wasn't a good so, thing. So after we we went to Poland, played Warsaw, came back a couple of weeks later, I get a call from Art that uh, Moose Man got murdered in his driveway, in a drive-by. Wow. Because he's from South Central. Yeah, that'll do it. And um, so a couple more weeks goes by, and then I get a call from, from Iggy, once again at work. Which they're used to by now. <laughs> um, 
that he's like, think you can play bass? I'm like, yeah, I can play bass. It's like, so, um, here, listen to Archangel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually we did. I, we, we did, uh, I showed him that later on after it came wait, out. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, pause, pause, pause. You're telling me that Iggy Pop listened to a Sam Haynes song. Yeah. And what was it? Was he just like, hmm, interesting. Like what? Like what? What? Well, they, I, I, to him, I had a, I had more of a, I was more certified. I would say he thought of me as more certified as, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't an LA hair metal reject. Right. You had a punk pedigree. Right. Uh, and I like, and yeah, like him, I had started something that everyone else latched on to eventually. Right. right. So it wasn't, you know, like Whitey would be like, you know, and apparently he imitates Whitey the same way I do. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, man. You, you. Whitey would try to get free stuff in record stores by pointing me out and, and, and uh, saying I was in Sam Haynes. So I'd be signing stuff and he'd be getting the free stuff. Get out of here. Yeah. Oh. But um, so anyway, it's I, 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 I actually I like playing bass because I liked it when Ron Ashton was the bass player in the Stooges. You want some complicated riffs? Listen to that guy. As a bass player. As a bass player. I've never really thought. I always thought that was a um, a hit on Ron's like not ego, but like the fact that he got relegated to the bass from guitar. That J you know James came in and became. Mm -hmm the guitar player and that always was like a, a a dark bruise on on ron's soul a little bit yeah maybe but i mean he you know he really he was he was a great bass player wow and um so i so i basically like like on the raw power era stuff did everything he did and I remember being woken up by Iggy on a plane once and thanked for playing Ron's parts right when nobody else did. Wow. So, well, I guess that's the, you know, I always hear that, you know, guitar and bass are kind of interswitchable if you're a guitar player or whatever, but that you have bass players that are bass players and you have guitar players that are guitar players. But then you have this thing where you have a guitar player playing a bass, and that that I guess is a different mentality. That's, than that's the bass my player. favorite kind of rock bass player. Somebody like um, Tom Peterson is, or I guess even we were talking about him earlier. Would Jeff Magnum fall into that sort yeah. of? Yeah, yeah, interesting. Or or um, what's his face? Lemmy. Lemmy plays. Yeah. doesn't Lemmy yeah, play that's a bass what, and guitar? Lemmy and Ron Ashton. That's that's yeah. what I like. JJ wow. Burnell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tom Peterson. What is it? Is it the strumming that's different that like makes it different or is it just the incorporating what, what... chords and playing it like a rhythm guitar? Right. Whereas you're not, you know, being like the bass player, like, like somebody. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just, or you, I mean, you could, some bands it works. If you have two guitars, you'd want to have somebody. Just, yeah. Is Dave Alexander like? Does he play more like a guitar player, or is he 
Like, where does he fall into that paradigm? He was, as, as Iggy always said, he was just the guy that was around. Gotcha. The base, because later on when we did um, Skull Ring um, and they were going to do the Stooges songs, once again, I got a call at work. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, we're going to do some Stooges tunes and I want you to play bass on them. <laughs> I was like, You were supposed yes! to be the guy. You were supposed to be the guy. You told me this. Yeah. And um, and Ron did it himself, and you can tell it's it, it you know it that's that's fine, but um, when they ended up with Mike Watt, I you know like that was the Ashton's choice because he had crawled up their asses, right? Because he had and, done he had done the thing with Jay Manaskis, Maskis, whatever Jay Maskis, yeah, yeah, and um. It, it he he wasn't the right guy, and um, you know Jim was disappointed that I that I didn't do it, but he had to acquiesce somewhere, I guess. Right. But um, so you played on. Let me think about this. If okay, American Caesar. So you played on Naughty Little Doggy. No, right. I was you in the not. band at, at that point. Uh, I played on Avenue B. Beat oh. him up. And uh, skull ring, skull ring, yeah. Wait, I thought you played on. Wait, so you were not in the you were in the band, but you didn't record Naughty Little Doggy. No, gotcha. Okay, okay, right. And we've talked about how, yeah, there's this great clip. Go online, you'll see Pete playing with Iggy. I think it's the David Letterman show. Mm -hmm. Iggy has his silver, his padded silver gloves on. Um, he's wearing a broccoli necklace just because, and they're doing the song called Mask, which is probably my favorite off of uh, Beat 'em Up. Let me ask you this question. Did Iggy, did you ever ask Iggy about the peanut butter at, uh, in 1970 uh, at, at, in uh, Cincinnati? Is it true that Stiv Bader's handed the peanut butter to Iggy? He wouldn't know. Hmm. But, uh, if you look closely at the pictures, there's somebody that looks like Stiv right below him. I've always thought it was Stiv. I, yes, I've seen those pictures, and I and always it, thought the it nose, was. The nose is the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially considered, it's probably not in the history of things, but in, I guess in documented record, that's considered to be the first stage, like crowd surfing, stage walk, whatever. Yeah. In the history of music or yeah rock modern rock crazy and here you are playing with the guy let me ask you this question 1996 somewhere i think it's a in greece iggy climbs the scaffolding on what you know just doing his iggy pop thing as he would do it all you guys played all those crazy festivals in the 90s mm -hmm. just going everywhere probably was amazing just a jet set around the world here you yeah. are just jet setting around the world hanging out backstage rubbing shoulders with who's who at whatever festival in 1996 Greece, Iggy climbs the scaffolding, gets hit in the head with a beer bottle, starts bleeding profusely from his head, and then screams into the microphone, you can't kill me, I'm Iggy fucking pop. Yep. You, that's true. That's yep. what that, that happened. And it was that a happened. water bottle. Oh, it was a water bottle. It was and not it was a beer. Full. Okay. Did it make him bleed? Yeah. Wow. And so he actually turns to the audience like some mad, crazy Roman emperor <laughs> screaming from his lungs. 
yeah. with the microphone in his hand. You can't kill me. I'm Iggy fucking pop. Yeah. Greatest story ever in the history. More so to me, especially because he had been through so much by that point that more so than, you know, taking a drumstick to the chest at Max's Kansas yeah. city or any of that stuff. That to me is my favorite. Um, let me ask you this question. Uh, f- first of all, what do you think? So what do you think about all those, it, those albums that he would put out in the eighties and stuff? He always seemed to be trying to change, change his, his image. He did the metal album with, with Steve Jones from sex pistols. That was, yeah, that was a, eh, yeah, I like that one. I still play it occasionally. There's some others like Zombie Birdhouse. and uh, That's too bizarre for me. I can't get that's into a, it. Like, people like that. And I was a, Pain and Suffering is a good song. I like that song. Yeah. Chris Stein, that was, he always, yeah. he always gets a guy. He always finds like a guy to help him with the songwriting. It was Steve Jones, Chris Stein, Ivan Crawl. Yeah, I like that party album, Party and Soldier. I think those are pretty great. I enjoy those. Party Colony not so much. much. Soldier was, yeah, we had that was, that was in a heavy rotation on cassette and the, in the cars in the early eighties. Yeah. Um. So what happens? So tell me about. Let's talk about Skull Ring for a minute. Mm-hmm. So you're at the you're at the peak culmination of everything. Those guys start talking again. Um, and you're also kind of collaborating with all of these artists, right? In some way, shape, or form, or is it, are those collaborations happen, happening separately? It's separate from the Trolls Band, right? Yeah, gotcha. We did we did like two weeks in the studio, and then uh, he just did the other stuff on his own. So you said he's really deep. And the later modern Jim Osterberg seems like, you know, so, yeah, he seems very sophisticated. He doesn't seem like the down and dirty, roll in the mud Iggy from the 70s and late 60s and 80s yeah. or whatever. What? Um, Don't what forget, he was like, he was valedictorian of his high school class. So was he like that the whole time, like a well-read? Yeah. So what do you think happens to a guy like that when he gets on the stage? Does it does something switch off? Is yeah, it, it's the, it, it's he said it himself. It's two personalities inside of his body, mm-hmm. and the switch goes off, and he goes mad. He just mm-hmm. goes mad. Yeah, it's crazy. It's so crazy. And yeah, and eventually it drove him crazy. Right, it did. It did, and he bounced. He bounced back, and he found the the balance. Yeah, but it took a long, long time. Right. And let me ask you this. Um, every once in a while, I see Iggy with a guitar, which is such a bizarre notion for me as a fan. What? When was that common or was it common in the studio when you were in the studio with him? Was he, is he a guitar player? Or is it more of like a prop or like, what's the deal with that? No, it's a, it, was a, it would be a tool. Yeah. So, um, but he, uh, what was the book? Pure chaos or. Oh yeah. There's, well, there's two books. There's, um, something in blood, open up and bleed. Mm. Oh there's yeah. Two, that, two yeah. Of the books. I, I got, I've read both of them. Uh, I forget the name of the other one. 
the one with the Tommy guns on the cover. No, no, no. This is um, it's him upside down missing a tooth, and it was put out by Third Man. Oh, okay. So it's like pure chaos, or okay, it must but, have not. But anyway, they um, the the guy that wrote it, Jeff, I forget his name, but he had acquired Danny Fields' archive, which was just basically a room filled with boxes of crap and um so it, it, he he and the the co-author they put together like this l bunch of artifacts and then they got together with iggy and showed it to him and and you know he commented on all of it and i just remember he said that he wrote, I'm sick, of you. I'm sick of you by himself. So like, because they get into the songwriting and uh, he's like, no, no, no. Williamson would never have done that. Wow. So, but. Uh, but that there's a part of the fast part of that is. Uh, it's actually a Yardbirds tune. Ten huh. years, ten years time ago or which uh which i always knew but i still thought it was it was pretty great and what Ron, do you think? ron's playing on that one too is really good let me ask you this what do you think of the what do you think of the the reunion stooges albums not very good i have to tell you as a fan I'm baffled by the weirdness, but I'm even more baffled by ready to die. Like, yeah. I just can't get over that. That was the output that that's what they came out with. It just, it just kind of blows my mind. There's one good song between those two albums, in my opinion. Um, my idea of fun. I don't know if you're familiar with that track. Yeah. I think really feels, and the, the, the songs on skull ring feel like Stooges songs to me. Yeah, that it's um, those. Yeah, those are. But I, I always thought about this a lot. Whereas all those those first three records sort of made the world turn differently the way they were made, and a lot of the words are you know your id, they're timeless. They don't mention anything. Nothing, nothing is like the telephone rang or something like right. that. And it, it doesn't mention anything like that. It's, it's all in your mind and, and first like person. Dirt. Like dirt. Yeah. There's, and that to me, that's why they're, they're great and they hold up. But, um, those two records are just like there's a what there's like she took my money and then the ATM. There's a song yeah. called ATM. Yeah, that's that's like ride. Yeah, I remember playing with BB Buell and she was like, "I have this song idea for a song called I Googled You." I'm like, mm -mm. "No." <laughs> that's where I saw you. I saw you at the Continental playing with BB Buell. And I've never really been into the musical output of BB Buell. I got nothing against her. Like also a, a legend in her own right for numerous reasons. But 
I saw you get up on stage and this was my moment of like, you know, you're part of her band, but you're also like, I don't know what you would be considered in that band. You're just, you're, you're one of the, you're, you're the guitar player or the bass player. I don't remember which, but I had, I, my eyes were latched on you the entire night because I was like, Whoa, that's the, that's friggin' Pete from Sam Hain. Holy crap. Holy crap. And I came up to you right afterwards. I said, Pete, I want to interview you. What's your email? And you gave me your email. And it was like, this must have been 2010 or 20, maybe it was 2011. Yeah. But um, that was what, that was my, that was my POV of like, like seeing you up there, going back to what we were talking about before of like being like, holy crap, that's Pete, Damian Marshall. Like, you know, of, of, you know, both Sam Hain and Iggy Pop's band. Cause I was familiar with that. I love Skull Ring when it came out. I love those songs. It's yeah. a really great album. Phenomenal if for you, if for anything, like the idea, you're, you're right. You didn't get to participate in the Stooges reunion, but you are on a record with the Stooges. Yeah. That is, that is really cool. That's pretty amazing when you think about that. You know, I mean... For for the type of career that you had, what a joyride to the, the culmination. Well, yeah, that's the that's he also Iggy also liked me because I didn't I didn't whine about money. <laughs> this was you know everybody you know the the other guys like Shermer Horn and Hal Cragen were like were like well we need to be on half salary for and, but he never did that. Which I can understand, it, and it's like I, you know, tour would end, I'd go back to work, right, right. And they hated that at first, um, but eventually it turned into like I was, I was kind of like a celebrity that people and other touring bands knew when they came through, and. You know, event the originally the um, the owner was. You know, he was he was kind of jealous, and didn't right. want me to work there, and then realized that I I actually uh, like new new people. I was in uh, manufacturers knew who I was, so it was. I I don't think I I don't think I could uh, I would have done it any other way at this point yeah yeah because you know i'm along with you know playing was just just something else i did right and i've i've always liked guys like that like um the original uh employees in the fender plant in the 50s who would play gigs at night and then work there in the day and develop gear and uh or people like danny gatton who was also a, a car mechanic and kept you stable too. Uh, uh, um, yeah, and machinist, and that you know that's what that's what turns me on. Not like, not like you know, Jimmy Page, or you know, off in his castle or whatever. Yeah. No, I like I like people I can talk to and ask you know, and then what happened? You know, it's like it's like I remember. Um, uh uh, the producer produced Cheap Tricks' first record, 
God damn it. Now I'm I'm blanking on his name too. I don't know. But anyway, he came backstage when we played your record. I'll tell you right now. Hold on. Yeah. Hey, keep talking. I'm, I'm I'm gonna check. He came Jack Douglas. Okay. Jack Douglas came backstage and uh to talk to us. And um or just you know backstage. And I you know he he wanted to talk to Jim and I was like, no, 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 what that bass sound on the first cheap trick record. How did you do that? He was like, I, I want to know. It was, you know, he's like, ah, Thunderbird 2 through two stacks of Sound Cities, you know, super blo- whatever they were. Horrible. Oh, tickle. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a great sound. So that you know, that's what I like. That's what how I many, like. How many years were you with um Iggy total? Eight years. Eight years. Wow. That's great, man. Dude, this has been such a pleasure for me, truly an honor to uh, talk with you again. And um, freaking you have you have some freaking insight into these, as you say, you know, you 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 gravitate towards these maniacal geniuses that put out legendary stuff. And uh, it's something else, man. And there's uh, no there's I, no sense doing anything else. Right. Right. Uh, definitely agree. Definitely agree to that. And uh, I hope our paths definitely cross in the future at some point. Perhaps I'll, uh, if there are any clubs, clubs surviving in New York City after this, uh, this uh, disaster is, is over with, uh, that I might uh, find you on stage with uh, Cheetah or somebody who knows yeah. out there somewhere. Um, so thanks. Sure. I was. I was initially in the in the nineties. It, it's like I didn't want to talk about any of this, and it really? reminds you know reminded me when I was in Sam Hain going to a party in Ann Arbor and Brian Ashton was there and I was bugging him. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa! Oh, thanks for conveniently leaving that out at the end of the goddamn podcast. You were in Sam Hain, you were at a party, and you saw Ron Ashton and just like started yes. talking to him. Well, he was always around. It was like the guys in the necros too, you know, they're like, Hey, Ron Ashton's here. I'm like, um, so what was that like for you? What, what, what happened? What, what, well, it was like, you know, it was like some kid bugging me. I would, you know, yeah. I just, and he just like, you know, just wanted to be left alone. And, did and he I talk was, to you? Did he humor you? Yeah, he did. Wow. He's in dark carnival at that point or something. Yeah. Destroy all monsters. Yeah, dark. It was dark carnival by then, and then that was also with people that were in the uh, the seduce uh, orbit. From gotcha. they were they were a they were in um, decline Western civilization too. Oh, my brother in law was their sound guy, and uh, so they were. Uh, you know, everybody in detroit shows up cars crosses paths does let me ask you this question does glenn give a shit about ron ashton sees ron because glenn was a stooges guy too at some point does glenn just like he won't tell you that what that he was into the stooges no he won't tell you that he he never act like that around somebody even back so wow really what about vampire though he was oh that's that's something completely different yeah because so Glenn's just too cool for school. Yeah, but Glenn would have 
at this time, and I've heard the guy from Maurice. We're, we're wrapping this up. I I have to go. I'm sure you have to go. I really yeah. appreciate your time, truly. Uh, one last thing. I hear you know. I hear the guy Maurice, and I've heard other people say this too. That there was a point in Glenn's life where where Glenn, you know, you get Glenn's number, you could call him on the phone, and he just talked to you. Oh, he just yeah. like he didn't even know who you were. He yeah. just sit and he just talked to you and and answer endless questions and was totally cool. And then something changed in him. Yeah, that was no longer that way. What what about that? What what happened? Why? Uh. I think he just got older and cranky. Yeah. You know, because he was what, 30 when I was in the band? And, it, you know, yeah. we, if we were going out, um, we'd stop by his house and see if he wanted to come with us. Yeah. And I was like, we're going to dance at Tyria. See, he's like, nah, I'll he stay just here. He's in the basement with his things. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I was like, man, he doesn't want to do anything. And meanwhile, you know, people are like, hey, come see my band. I'm like, nah. <laughs> there you go. When's the sound check? You know, I'll come by for that. Yeah. yeah. Pete, this was really a treat for me. And I know a lot of people are going to really appreciate this. And I just want to thank you. And I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you've changed and that you do open up and talk about this stuff. And it's, people want to hear it, man. It's, yeah. it's cool to listen to. So yeah. you definitely made my Sunday. So. All right. <laughs> okay all right that's it the episode's over i'll i'll cinch it there dude thank you Duke, for doing this i really appreciate your time truly and i really do i hope that our paths do cross and i could buy you a beer you know and a slice of pizza if it yeah. if, if it still happens if we're in the city if we if we're at the same show i don't know you never know i'll yeah. tell you something uh super quick i first of all i don't know if you caught the post post pop depression album uh, Iggy's uh, last studio album, I think it was. Yeah, I, I really, I, I've like listened, right. heard it in the distance. I got to tell you, it's a really great album that really feels cohesive with the Bowie canon. Yeah. You know what I mean? It feels like the third in the trilogy of the Bowie albums. Yeah, and, it's what um, he, it's what he was supposed to do. Right, right. And if it's like, his last album, I'm cool. Like that's yeah. that's yeah, all we like, need. Every time we. Every time it was time to make a new record and the record company would be like, please just get rid of those guys and we can, and we'll, yeah. we'll get you some real musicians once again. And it was like, Oh no, hell no. You're yeah. not telling me what to do. Right. 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 Well, all I know is it was a fitting conclusion, but I was just at a show. I was, saw, I was seeing the mummies and the bass player from the, from the session from the, from the live band, which is in the audience. I was like, dude, I was like, you played with the, I saw you with post-pop impression. He was like yeah. super cool. And we talked stooges and yada, yada. He's yeah. a big fan too. That's how Matt Sweeney was his name. Matt oh, Sweeney. I know him. You do? Yeah. He, does, I, he says he knows me. Um, He, he does, uh, he does that like guitar player thing on vice. Oh, is really? That, yeah. Is that the guy I'm thinking of? He's bald. He yeah. has a mustache. Yeah. And he's good friends with, he came into the band through Josh Holm. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, I bumped into him and I recognized him. I was like, dude, you guys played so good and blah, 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 blah. And um, freaking like, but it was just interesting. You never know who you bump into at a show. No. So. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I should tell you this one. That, All right, uh, tell, me, tell me, go. Mid-90s, 96, 97, I was doing, um, I was stage managing like a McGaffey 
uh, they're a, a metal promotion company. Yeah. And one of their shows at Seabees. And one of the bands that showed up was called Verbena. And they, they were from, I think they were from Birmingham, Alabama. For some reason, Dave Grohl was playing bass. Huh. So they walk in. Dave's like moving. This is Nirvana. This is Nirvana bigger than life. Yeah. And he's like pushing a bass amp in. And, and I'm like, that's Dave Grohl. <laughs> so anyway, they get on stage to sound check. And uh, he's like, oh, I don't have a pick, man. Somebody got, I gave him one of mine with my name on it. And it says Iggy on the, the other side. Yeah. He's like, this is an Iggy Pop pick. How'd you get this? I said, I'm, I play with him when I'm not doing crap like this. And he was like, you lucky bastard. <laughs> That's great. I was, I was like, I'm, I, I don't have, I'm not a millionaire. This was during or after Nirvana. It was, it was somewhere. It was after Nirvana. It was, oh, okay. it, it was 96 or 97. So it must have been either when the Foo Fighters had just started or just breaking yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Dude, thank you so much. We'll uh, hopefully cross paths someday. Yeah. You have a good one. I'll see you on Facebook for sure. Yeah. All right. See you. Thank you.